All right, so that was just part of what was happening this week. We had 69 uh, clubs each day in front yards all over Jacksonville. And so our teenagers, 155 of them, did a great job this week of loving on kids, giving them a great time. Uh, when you saw the bald guy trying to do the slip and slide, that's when you know you're too old. You don't wanna, when you kind of run at it like that, like, I want to break my back. So anyway, we're glad that you are here and that you're participating. Your kids are have a great time after this. We're going to be able to enjoy Power Surge together. So uh, we're going to open our Bibles together. If you have a phone with you and a Bible on it, uh, you could open there. Or if you don't have one, we have an app, CFC Jacks. You can open up our app, and there, uh, there's a Bible on that as well as a place to take notes if you'd like to. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, New Believers in Christ, and he is praying for them. And last week we looked at how he prayed that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And the significance of that prayer is that we said, sometimes we think the Christian life is about being strong. But if it's about being strong, that means it's dependent upon us. The beauty of the Christian life is the promises that he would strengthen us. So the command isn't be strong, the command is be strengthened. Because that means that the responsibility is upon the Lord to strengthen us. And it's by his strength that we can live the Christian life. Because if it's up to us, we'll never be able to do it. In fact, I know personally, I stayed away from trying to live the Christian life because I knew I was not strong enough. I had tried and I just continually failed. So the good news of the gospel is that it's what Jesus has done for us and what he continues to do for us in strengthening us. So he's now he's going to pray a second request for them. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter three, the whole prayer is in verse 14 through 21. But if you'll look at verse 17, halfway through the verse, he moves to his second point of how he prays for them. He says, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So his prayer is really simple. He not only wanted them to be strengthened, he wants them to know something. What's he want him to know? Here's what he said. I want you to know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of God's love for you. He wants them to know how much God loves them. And so as we read this prayer, he, he wants us to know how much does God love you? You might know, oh, I, I've heard God loves me, and you might think God loves me, but how much does God love you? I'm going to give us uh, six expressions of how much God loves us from the text. First of all, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So how much does he love you? He loves you when you were not lovable. He, he loves me when I was not lovable. When we were sinners, that's when he loved us. 
Now, I don't know if you, how you think about yourself, but do you consider yourself lovable? Probably. Do you consider your kids lovable when they're asleep, right? That's, that's when you put them to bed at night and they finally go to sleep and you sneak back in and check on them. And then that's when you have all those warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Oh, so cute. They're so nice. Oh, I love them so much. And then they wake up. We often think of kids are so lovable when, in those moments. And then, then the next day when, like this week, holding one of my grandsons. I've been blessed with six kids and eight grandkids. So I'm holding one of my grandsons. And as seems usual these days, he's got snot running down his nose <laughs> with colors of green that you didn't know existed. And you look at it, it's like, oh, oh. And then, he, of course, the tongue comes out. And you're like, oh, I wanted to kiss you, but no, not now. <laughs> so what do you do when, when you're holding your child and the, the snot's pouring down? Yeah, see, the moms go, you get a Kleenex, you clean it up. Dads, what do we do? One of two, yeah, hand them to, okay, we got a couple options. Hand them to mom, take the shirt, but then that starts to get crusty. Not your shirt, their shirt. I never do it on my shirt, their shirt. I don't want that on my shirt. I do their shirt. But the easiest I've learned is just turn them around. And that way everybody else gets to look. And they're lovable from behind now. And everybody else has to look at that tongue and the snot running down. Now, uh, as gross as that is, we were much more unlovable to God. Because you think green snot pouring out of our kids' nose is unlovable. The sin, the lies, the deceit, the hate, the jealousy, the envy that, that pours out of us. Y'all know that, right? You know that pours out of you. I know you know it pours out of other people. It pours out of you too. Uh, and that's not lovable. That's a lot worse than green snot. But the scripture says, you know how much God loves you? It doesn't turn you around. It was, oh, I don't want to see that. He says, while, while you're that, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son for you. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In some sense, he used his shirt. He took it upon himself. So, so when Christ, when it says that, that Christ died for us, that that's how much he loved us even when we were not lovable, what, does it, what happened when, when Christ died on a cross? Well, the Bible says this, that he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's a word that we don't normally use, but it's not a complicated word. It's just an unusual word. Propitiation means this, the satisfaction of wrath. In other words, because of that which pours out of me, the ugliness, the sin that pours out of me, and God is holy, and he looks at that, and he goes, ah, but I can't ignore it, but I love them, even when they're unlovable, but that has to be dealt with. And because we're sinners and we can't deal with it ourselves, he sent his son, and when his son went to the cross, 
he was without sin, and he satisfied the wrath that we deserve because of the ugliness that pours out of us. Is that love? Yeah, that's love. That's, that's taking the ugliness and not avoiding it, not turning away from it. It's, it's looking at the ugliness and says, I'll take it upon myself. He took the wrath that we deserved. And he put that punishment for our sin upon his son. So how much does God love us? He loves us so much that he loves us when we were not lovable and did so by taking the punishment that we deserved and he placed it upon his son. That's simply what propitiation. And the verse said that he not only did it for us, but who who did he do it for? Did, Did you catch that? Who did he do it for? Let me go back. And he did this not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So nobody gathered this morning is outside of God's love. Nobody outside of the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. It's for the whole world that he placed the punishment for all of the world's sin upon his son. But he didn't only do that. It said, it says that he, the father, made him the son who knew no sin, which simply means that Jesus lived an entirely perfect life, never sinned. Seems impossible, never sinned. Never was unrighteously anger, never stretched the truth, never lied, never jealous, single man in his 30s that never lusted, go figure. Jesus never sinned. He he, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that's that he took the punishment so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, In other words, look, there's this incredible exchange that happens when we trust in Jesus. He says, if you'll trust in me, I've already taken your punishment. And so if you'll trust in me, Ah, you give me your punishment. You give me your ugliness. You give me your sin. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my righteousness. Is that a good trade? Is that a good trade? Come on, people. Yeah. Could there be a better trade than that? No, there couldn't be a better trade than saying, you'll take my sin? Yes, I'll take your sin, and I won't just forgive you of your sin and wash you and cleanse you. I'm going to give you my righteousness so that the ugliness that used to come out of you wouldn't need to keep coming out of you. New things could start coming out of you. That is the righteousness of Christ. So he not only takes the punishment for our sin, he places his righteousness in me. That's how much God loves me. He loves me when I'm not lovable by taking the punishment that I deserve and pouring his righteousness in me. And he doesn't stop there. Galatians chapter four says, but when the fullness of time came, in other words, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, 
born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem. Redeem simply means to buy back, to buy back those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So he sees all the ugliness pouring out of us. What's he do? He loves us. And it's just not a feeling. He sends his son. He sends his son so that we could place our sin upon him. And he would place his righteousness in us. And it doesn't stop there. Then he, then he adopts us. He takes us from the worst family ever. And he makes, a part of, makes us a part of the best family ever. He makes us a part of his family. He becomes our heavenly father, the good, good father that we just sang about. That is how much God loves us, that he adopts us. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts so that now we can say, daddy, daddy. Maybe some of you have adopted. My mom has adopted four children. After us four kids grew up and moved out, she started fostering and then she adopted four children and gave them a life that they would not have had. They were all born HIV positive, and she gave them a life that they would not have had had she not adopted them. But the thing that my mom could not do that God does for us is this. As much as she loved them, as much as she poured her life out for them, as much as she gave her life up as being a grandma to our kids, to be a mom for this next generation of kids, she couldn't pour herself into them. She could pour herself out for them, but she could not make them her own, like put her DNA in them. That was already established. And here's the beauty of God's adoption. When he adopts me and when he adopts you, he pours his spirit into us so that we're not just cleaned up. Our nose isn't just wiped. Our sin isn't just washed away. He changes us on the inside so that we become, the Bible says, partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't make us God. It makes us watch one with God. So that now, because we are one with God and he, his spirit is now in us and we have his righteousness, I can walk in newness of life. That, that's love. When we first started doing power-up clubs, we lived off of Greenland Road in Waterford Estates, and our next-door neighbor watched it all go down with his kids and, and had a conversation with him, and he said, you know, I, I know what it means to trust in Jesus to become a Christian, but I just am not willing to take that step because I don't think... I would be a very good Christian. Because I know what Christians are supposed to do, and I don't think I could do it. And he said, I appreciated his honesty. He said, and I don't want to be one of those Christians who say they're Christians but don't live like it. 
So I'm just not making that decision. What, did, what didn't he understand? <laughs> yeah, he didn't understand. Watch. He understood that his sin would be forgiven. He didn't understand that the righteousness of Christ would be given to him and the spirit of God would then be put in him so that he could now walk in newness of life. I don't, I don't think we often understand how much God loves us. How much? He loves us when we are unlovable by sending his son to take our punishment and give us his righteousness and then adopt us to make us part of his family and not only make us a part of his family, like make us one with him by pouring his spirit. This sounds crazy, but the spirit of God genuinely lives in his children so that he does just not love them from the outside, they now have him living on the inside. And so I could say to him, hey, I got great news for you. You're exactly right. You would not be able to live the Christian life. But the Christian life isn't, if you were listening at the beginning, the Christian life isn't be strong. The Christian life is be strengthened. And you're strengthened by the Holy Spirit who now makes you a new person. So the things that you can't do and you know you can't do, you're right. Because you don't have the Spirit of God. But when you trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God will live in you. And then you will be able to do what Christ calls you to do. You see, it'd be really cruel of God to say, hey, live this life and just do your best. He doesn't say, hey, just live this life. He says, live this life of righteousness and love and of peace and kindness and of joy. Live that life. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you myself in you so that I will be that through you. That's the Christian life. Where he not only dies for us, but he adopts us, makes us part of his family, and he places his spirit in me so that I can now walk in newness of life. And because he he has loved me that much, then the scripture asks this really awesome question. What then shall we say to these things? That Christ died for us, that Christ cleansed us, that Christ now lives within us, that we're part of a new family, we have a new heavenly father. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Now, let me be clear here. If you become one with God through Christ, will there be people against you? Yeah, he's not saying, oh, if I'm for you, then nobody will be against you. That's not what he said. When he says, who's against us, he's saying there will be people against you, but they'll just be less than me. I'll be greater. Because if I'm for you, then it really doesn't matter who's against you because I'm always greater than the one against you. They don't misunderstand the Christian life is not, oh, now nobody's against me. Actually, there will probably be more people against you. But the one who will be now for you is greater than any other. So he says, God loves me, not only for dying for me, not only by pouring his spirit into me, not only by adopting me, but by promising to be always for me. Always for me. And, and I love this. 
Because sometimes we don't, it doesn't always feel like, it doesn't always seem like, is God really for me? If God was for me, then why is this happening in my life? If God's for his children, then, then why are our, two of our members in the hospital right now? I thought God was for us. Here, here's what it means that God's for us. And we know that God, now watch, did you miss? And we know, we don't hope, we know. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So when I am one with him and now I'm part of his family, he's, he's for his kids. And he's gone, because you're my children and because I've loved you, I'm always going to be for you, meaning I'm always working for your good. God is always. It might not seem like it, it might not feel like it, but I can be confident that whatever is happening in my life, what actually God is doing is working for good in my life. And the reason I can know that is because he loved me when I wasn't lovable. He sent his son to take the punishment for me. He poured his righteousness in me. He adopted me. He poured himself. He has demonstrated. You, you're tracking with me? He has demonstrated. I always do what is good for my children. Now, I want you to see one more thing about how much God loves us. It, it said in the text that he wanted them, here's what is his prayer, remember, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. I don't know if you noticed that when we, we first read it, but it's kind of a funny statement. Hey, I want you to know what you can't know. Did you think about that? I want you to know something that actually goes beyond knowing. It's not that you can't know it. It's that it goes beyond knowing. Can you know that God loves you? Yes, you can know it because of what he has done for us on the cross, in adopting us, in pouring his spirit into us, in always working for good. We can know that God loves us. But then there is a love of God which goes beyond even what we can know. It's the love of God which we can experience. Have you ever experienced the love of God? Like felt it. It's a teenager laying on a bed. My parents separating, huge fight, separating. One of the first times I really laid on the bed, one o'clock in the morning, crying about the brokenness of my family and realizing not knowing, but experiencing. I love you, and I'm working for your good. It was beyond something that you could like categorize and know. It was something that you could experience. One of our staff members here that I've worked together for 30 years her husband just died last week. 
when we did the funeral, we can talk about how we know God loves her. But you know what I'm ultimately praying is what Paul prayed for them, that she would know the love of God which surpasses knowledge, that as there were hundreds of people present comforting her, grieving with her, that she, her son, would experience, experience the love of God, to feel it, to feel the comfort of God. Now, here's what's, here's what's true about a, a love of God which surpasses knowledge. Sometimes we feel it, but all of us can also probably describe times where we felt like God was far and distant, and, and you didn't feel his comfort, and you didn't feel his love. Does that mean he didn't love you? No. See, this is why we know that he loves us, and sometimes that knowing surpasses just knowledge. It's something we experience. But when we don't experience it, what are we left with? We're left with we still know it. Why? Because of the cross, because of adoption, because of being made new in the righteousness of Christ. So how much does he love us? He loves us enough to allow us to experience him. See, it's, it's a relationship. God is real. It's just not a truth. It's a relationship. And it's something that I have the privilege of experiencing. that goes beyond just knowledge. So thus far, here's what I hope you'll have captured. God loves me. And take it the next step further and say this. God loves me perfectly. In fact, next step, he could not love me more. There's nothing that he could do that he's withholding which would be even greater love. So you're tracking, God loves me. He loves me perfectly. He could not love me more. That's how much God loves us. Demonstrated in his son. Demonstrated in his righteousness given to us. Demonstrated in his adoption. Demonstrated in his pouring his spirit into us. That's how much. Loves us perfectly, could not love us more. <clears throat> but here's, here's why he prayed that they would know the love of God. And, and I hope you're going to capture this. Here's why I hope you will know how much God loves you. He says, I want them to know how much God loves them the purpose for knowing it is this, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you, that's a purpose expression, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I want you to know how much God loves you because if you'll know how much God loves you, then you'll be filled up with all the fullness of God. What's that mean, to be filled up with all the fullness of God? It simply means that every part of my life will be God-saturated. My marriage, God-saturated. My family, God-saturated. My parenting, God-saturated. My work, 
My finances, my decisions, my priorities all got filled up. Every part of me, not just up to my ankles, not just up to my knees, but from my toes, my, I am filled up in every aspect of my life. God is a part of it. That's what he wants, but why? Watch. What's the connection to being filled up with God, saturated with God, and knowing how much he loves you? What's the relationship? Well, I think it's pretty easy. If you don't think somebody loves you, would you trust your life with them? Yes or no? No, come on. If you don't think they love you, you don't trust them. If you think they might love you, you you might trust them. If you're kind of pretty sure they love you, then you'll kind of pretty sure trust them, right? But if you are 100% convinced that they love you, you really know they, they couldn't love you more. Then what do you do? Oh, I, 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 I trust you. I couldn't trust you more. Because... Knowing God loves us results in, I'll trust you completely. I will gladly. What what do you want me to do? Because I know you love me. The love of God results in the trust of God. He wants them to know God's love for them because he knows when we are convinced someone loves us, We'll gladly surrender to them. We'll gladly go, well, here's my life. If you love me, I want you to have every part of my life. If you love me, then I want you to be a part of my marriage because you're going to actually work for good in my marriage. If you love me, then I'm not afraid to give any part of my life to you because you love me. You see the relationship? Sometimes we're reluctant to trust God, all of us, yes? Sure. So, I don't know if you, you know the name Hannah Whittall Smith, uh, a writer who wrote The Secret to the Christian's Happy Life. She records this great conversation, I love it, I'm going to share it with you in a moment. It's between a woman and a young mom. And the young mom is reluctant to say to God, hey, whatever you want to do with my life, I trust you. And the woman, the woman trying to help her understand she doesn't need to be afraid, says, well, let me ask you a question about your son, Charlie. Here's the conversation. Suppose your little Charlie, your little boy, should come running to you tomorrow and say, mother, I have made up my mind to let you have your own way with me from this time forward. I am always going to obey you, and I want you to do just whatever you think is best with me. I will trust your love. Yeah, so we don't have to suppose. Yeah. (laughs) Your kids haven't said that to you yet? Oh, come on. What a slacker parent. Sheesh. No, no child has ever said that probably to mom or dad. So that's why she says, uh, suppose. But it's a great question. I mean, imagine, you're a nine-year-old. 
Mom, Dad, just been thinking about your love for me. And I trust him. Hey, whatever you want me to do. You want me to get up early? I'll get up early. You want me to clean the dishes? I'll clean the dishes. And I'll sweep the house too. Wash the car. No problem. I trust you. Now you're like, well, where is that kid? And how do we clone him? (laughs) Suppose that would happen, the woman says to the mom. How would you feel towards him? Would you say to yourself, aha, now I shall have a chance to make Charlie miserable. I'll take away all his pleasures and fill his life with every hard and disagreeable thing that I can find. I'll compel him to do just the things that are the most difficult for him to do and will give him all sorts of impossible commands. Gotcha, Charlie. Would you say that? See, all of us go, no, no, you wouldn't do that to Charlie. You'd be like, son, I love you. Even when snot runs down your face. Now, if he said, whatever, I trust your love, we wouldn't take advantage of it. The woman says, would you? No, and here's what the young mom says. Oh, no, no, no. You know I would not. You know I would hug him to my heart and cover him with kisses and would hasten to fill his life with all that was sweetest and best. So what's the mom, excuse me, what's the woman say to the mom? Are you more tender and loving than God? There's a great example for the mom. No child has to fear surrendering to a loving mom because the loving mom will not abuse or take advantage, or make miserable. The loving mom will love, and the child will actually experience it. But somehow, somehow, as much as we say, oh, I know God loves me, I know God loves me, we don't want to trust him, right? I know God loves me, but I want to do this with my career, and I don't want God messing with that. I know God loves me, but you see? Actually, when we are reluctant to trust God, to yield to God, what does that reveal? What's it reveal? I'm not really convinced he loves me perfectly. Because if I was, I'd trust him. That's the beauty of the love of God, that it sets us free to trust him completely. Any reluctance to surrender my life to God is actually a reflection of my limited understanding of how much he loves me. Because if I, if I knew, if I was convinced, if I really believed, because there's a difference between knowing and actually believing. If I really believed, he's always for me. He's always working for good. That he could not love me more. I wouldn't shrink back. 
I'd be Charlie. I trust your love. Do whatever you want. So I want to invite you to trust the love of God. See, the goal this morning is not, hey, let God fill every part of your life. No. The goal is what? Know how much God loves you. And when you believe that, you'll let God fill every part of your life. So why don't you bow with me, if you would. And I want to pray for us what Paul prayed for those believers, for those folks in Ephesus. God, would you help us understand the greatness of your love, the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. Remind us of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Remind us of the incredible gift that you've given, not only of forgiveness, but of righteousness, and then of adoption, and then of your spirit in us. And thank you, God, that you're just not an idea, that you're a person. You allow us to experience a relationship with you. For really every single person including me in the room. Let's make it our request. Lord, help us comprehend how much you love us. Lord, I know when I know that, I'll yield to you. I'll gladly surrender my life to you. I would invite you as a reminder of how much God loves you, maybe there's a part of your life that you would surrender to him that you haven't yet. Not because you're supposed to, but because you're compelled by the love of Christ for you. Would you gladly say, God, I give you my life. Fill every part of me. Thank you for loving me. Loving me perfectly, loving me in a manner that could not love me more.
Here's the thing. They're just wrapping up here now, too. So wherever you drop them off, go pick them up. And I hope you'll stay. Have lots of fun and free food and water slides and get to know some of us. We'd love to get to know you. So I hope you have a blessed day. Thanks again for taking the time to come and worship with us. We'll see you next time.